Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey, welcome, welcome, everyone. You are listening to Energy Matters, and I am your host, Caroline Rutterman, and we have a great show for you today. We're actually doing a two-part show, so we're going to have um, two different guests uh, in the first half hour and the second half hour. So I'm very excited uh, to welcome our first guest, who is a, a return a return visitor, uh, Carlene Eve Fisher Hoffman. So welcome, Carlene. Hey there, great to be here. Yes, absolutely. So um, Carlene is a professional organizer, a Reiki practitioner, and also um, you are were recently published about your, your story about Lyme uh, in a book called The Waiting Room, The Invisible Voices of Lyme. Um, so so Carlene, can you can you tell us a little bit about um, who you are and, and what you do? Sure. Hi everybody. So glad that you're tuning in. Um, as Caroline said, my name is Carlene Eve Fisher Hoffman, and I'm a professional organizer, a holistic healer, artist, published writer, and a Lyme disease survivor. So tell us a little bit about um, about how the, the last time that I talked to you, um, the, this book hadn't been published. So tell us a little bit about um, The Waiting Room, the, the Invisible Voices of Lyme. I'm, I'm really curious as to how this whole book came about, how this whole um, story came about. Yeah, it's a pretty neat story. Um, so uh, I was diagnosed finally uh, with Lyme disease about um, three or four years ago, and um Things were going along with the progression of the disease and such. And um, sometime last year, um, I was talking with a colleague of mine and we were talking about the Lyme disease. And she told me that um, somebody that she knew was putting together a book and she thought that I would be a good fit for it. And next thing I know, I'm getting a call um, from the author of the book and um, asking me if I would be willing to write my story for it. So the book, The Invisible Voices of Lyme, The Waiting Room, The Invisible Voices of Lyme is actually a collaboration. It's a um, book of stories from various people that have Lyme disease. And it ranges from young kids to, you know, retired and older people, everybody, um, experiencing Lyme disease, but having different stories to tell. And it's a really neat book. And uh, just, I don't know, <laughs> I was so glad that I had the opportunity to be able to share my story because I felt as though by getting it out there, maybe, you know, my story could help somebody else. So I'm kind of excited about it. Do you do you enjoy writing? Is is writing something that is part of your passion? Yeah, I do do a lot of writing, um, mostly about clutter as of lately. Um, so I have been um, I've been doing that, and 
in the past I've been published, uh, used to write for an online blog and for uh, many people that might be listening for the Republican. Um, when that was around, I used to write for them. I used to have a monthly column. So what what did what felt so like what was the catharsis the kind of um the experience of really sharing your story and really feeling heard um what was sort of underneath all of that for you well i think that you kind of nailed it 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 was the um feeling of being heard um i would say that the story itself was quite difficult to write and it was quite difficult to actually have published because a lot of my um, colleagues and family didn't really know what I was going through or didn't understand what I was going through. And by having the story published, that kind of, well, that got it out there. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you feel like there's still a challenge to be heard in in the medical world? Or do you feel like that that has kind of smoothed over because I know initially when, when Lyme was really kind of starting to emerge that doctors were totally befuddled and there was a huge, um, yeah, you know, there, there was just a lot of, uh, dismissal for people. And so even just being heard in the medical community by their doctors, that was an, an early challenge. Do you feel like in, in your personal story that that was part of the challenge or was it, um, like how how did your how did your medical uh, experience go with that that whole whole world that whole experience um yeah i definitely was not getting heard <laughs> um i had been suffering for a very very long time with bad fatigue and um i mean it was so bad that you know there were days where i couldn't drive which made it difficult to you know carry on your life And um, I just felt as though the doctors that I saw either didn't take me seriously or didn't know what kind of tests to give me. So if you were, um, oh, we're getting some feedback. Um, If you were, if you would have any kind of recommendations for people who um, were maybe suspecting that they had Lyme, uh, what would you, what would you recommend to people? um, How, how to be, how to be an advocate for themselves? Well, that's it. They do have to be an advocate for themselves and they need to press their doctor to get tested. And if their doctor won't do it, then they need to go to another doctor to have it done, get a second opinion or a third opinion. Um, also, there's a, a more new test that came out called the Western Blot, and um, I would recommend having that test done and then making sure that the doctor that gets the results for that test actually knows how, knows how to read it. And so then that falls into what's called a Lyme literate doctor. A Lyme literate doctor. Is there is there a list of Lyme literate doctors um, that we can independently research as consumers? I think people forget that like doctors work for us, you know, like we are consumers. Um, but do you, is there any kind of list that you that you could recommend or that even exists that you know of? No, I would just go online and do an independent um, internet search about Lyme literate doctors near me. Great. Or infectious disease doctors could look for that as well. Absolutely. 
And I think it's important also, you know, if you're if you're talking to your doctor, whether it's an established doctor or a new doctor, you can always ask them, have you how many people have you treated that have experienced this before? You know, like you can ask your surgeons that you can always ask your doctors that. Um, and, you know, like like Carlene said, don't don't be afraid to advocate for yourself because it is it is really important. It's your health. And that's that's number one. That's right. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you are you feeling uh, a little bit better, or, or how long how long has this whole thing been going on with the with the Lyme experience? Um, we think probably like somewhere around the eight year mark. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah, and so I didn't really get the start getting the treatment that I needed until I think it was three years ago. So I've been working with a naturopath for three years and an infectious disease doctor for two years. And since I started working with them and following different protocols, I am way better, so much better. I'm not cured yet, um, but I am highly functioning. I would consider myself highly functioning. So. Amazing. I think I'm in a really good spot. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. What what type of protocols um, are you are you doing now that have um, that increased your health? I'm just following, you know, what the naturopath recommends based on what I tell him during my appointments, and the same thing with the infectious disease doctor. You know, she has certain protocols that um, she recommends, and then we come up with a game plan, you know, whether or not I want to follow that protocol or do something slightly different. We come up with a plan together. Fabulous. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, you found um, some, some good doctors and a naturopath uh, in, in your corner. You definitely deserve to, to feel healthy and, and be your best person. Um, so I, I know, Carlene, that you um, you also are a, a Reiki practitioner, a fellow Reiki practitioner. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, about what what you do with with all of that? Yeah, sure. So I am. I'm a Reiki master. Um, I'm not a Reiki teacher, just a Reiki master, and I have a great little practice. And I just love doing Reiki. I love being able to help people, you know, feel better, relieve stress and anxiety. And I just, I just love it. (laughs) Um, I think now more than ever, um, Reiki is getting more attention. Um, It's becoming more known in the hospitals. And um, I think because of what we're going through now with the pandemic, people are looking for different ways to try to find relief and relaxation and Reiki certainly can help with all of that. And I know you had mentioned that your um, your clients have been, uh, th- there's been an uptick since the pandemic really hit. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why, what people are coming to you specifically for since the pandemic has been, is there something that really has, has jumped out at you in, in the kind of observation of the new clients that have been coming to you? I think it's mostly the anxiety of the whole pandemic thing and the stress of being home 24 seven with the kids, the spouse and having to juggle, you know, work 
and homeschooling and then all the other things that you normally do during the day, it's a lot for people to take in and it takes a lot of coordination. And I think, you know, it's just overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. And so people are calling to try to get that sense of relief and peace that they need so they can, you know, continue. And, and amid all of the pandemic, how do you personally find your kind of centeredness? And how do you tend to find, uh, you know, amidst everything that's happening? How do, how do you take care of yourself? Well, I try to relax. And I do a little bit of writing like we just talked about. And then just some other things that make me happy, like do social distancing, coffee with my friends, go for a little walk maybe go and do a little bit of art, practice Reiki, do reading. I've been doing a lot of reading. Um, (laughs) Just trying to, you know, do anything that will get my mind off of the fact that we're in a pandemic. That sounds like a a very well-rounded kind of self-care routine, mix of hobbies and self-care and all the things that really sound very nourishing. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, especially when you're kind of really working to like deal with health issues and as well as helping others, how, how do you find how, how, what does balance look like for you? I know you kind of mentioned that you have some like nice self-care routines, but like, how do you structure your time? How do you organize your day? Like, what is, what is the, what does a day-to-day balance look for you um, amidst everything that's happening in your life and, and not feeling well sometimes? Well, that's the thing. You got to try to keep to a schedule, and then by keeping to a schedule, that helps keep you balanced. So making sure that you're getting up up getting up at the same time and have the same morning routine every day and then you know just starting in on the things that need to get done so if you're homeschooling your kids then you know from what time to what time and what needs to get done with that and then if you're working from home what time to what time and what needs to get done with that and you know just having a map for each day because I know that you're an, an organizational master, so um, I'm, I know people are are always curious about trying to find ways to organize their time, but also physically organize so much of the things in their life. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the things that you're kind of observing during the pandemic around um, the organizational work that you do with the with the clutter doctor? Sure. So it's the same thing as Reiki, except we're talking about clutter. <laughs> so I'm finding that, you know, people are, are home more often. So now they're looking at their clutter more often and it's making them upset. So they're calling me um, because they need relief. And, you know, now's a really good time to start doing these kinds of things while you're at home and you can try to wiggle in some little projects, you know, during the day. What kind of little projects, like what, what's a, what's a a little project that somebody can, can start and finish within a day within their home? Oh, lots of things. You can organize a junk drawer. You can organize your linen closet. 
Um, maybe you can do a few little things like filing or um, organizing your desktop, um, kids' toys. Yeah. <laughs> it's endless. <laughs> Out of, out of that kind of list of things, uh, these kind of little projects, what's your favorite? Do you have like a thing that you just love organizing? Well, this time of year, and of course, I think you probably know what I'm going to say, but this time of year, of course, is, you know, when you start thinking about switching your closet over um, for the fall, winter season. And I always love this time of year. I love doing the switch. It's, you know, you just feel like you're, you're cleaning out, you're moving the energy around and getting your fall clothing out and all those cozy sweaters. And yeah, it's a great time for that. Um, I was also talking um, on a TV episode the other day about getting your shed organized. So it's a good time of year to be thinking about that as well. Thinking about um what kinds of things would you store in your shed versus what would you store in the garage and how often do you access your shed or would you access your shed in the winter? And so those are two really good projects to think about. And so as you're talking about organizing your shed, for example, can you can you give us any any pro tips on how somebody would even begin? Let's say your shed has the the mower and maybe a leaf blower and some, you know, all kinds of rakes or shovels or whatever is kind of tucked in there. Where it's just and it looks a little messy or disorganized and maybe a little cluttery. Um, how how do people even? How do you begin? So you just got to take it a little bit at a time. Um, First of all, you gotta take a look at your space and think about how you're currently using it and is there a different way that you could be using it. So most people will think on a linear level and forget about the vertical space. Um, so consider inserting like heavy duty plastic shelving in there to increase your space. Uh, you wanna make sure that you wanna get your shed swept out. Um, pegboard is always really good to use and maybe a small um, workbench. It doesn't need to be fancy by any means, but that'll actually give you more space too, especially if it has a shelf because you can store it on the shelf and then underneath the workbench. And then you got to think about, you know, like we just mentioned, what are you going to keep out there versus what are you going to keep in the garage over the winter? Do you have a shed that you, is your, I can only imagine that you must have like such a beautiful shed at home. So up in Maine, we have a really, really adorable shed. It is so cute. And um, what I like about it is that it has different areas in it, even though it's small. So it has the plastic heavy duty shelving in it where we can store all of our gardening supplies and all of that going vertical. But then, you know, you go down a little further and you got your exposed two by fours and that's where we hang our rakes and items that we're not going to use during the winter. And then on the back corner, we have our workbench with the um, pegboard next to it, which is really great. And then in this particular shed, it has rafters. So up there, we can put things that 
you know, we don't use on a regular basis, period, like swim noodles and uh, there's some, uh, what are those things called? Uh, skis, water skis. Oh, fun. <laughs> Extra large shepherd hooks, um, things of that nature. So, you know, and that's another thing, you know, some sheds have that kind of storage and some sheds don't. So if you're looking to purchase a shed, you know, that's something that you would want to think about. And can you can you give us some tips on how to get started if somebody was thinking about switching over their their fall closet, their kind of fall winter closet? Because um, this is definitely the time, like you said, to pull out all those cozy sweaters. And it's sweaters are tend to be a little bit bulkier than our our summer t shirts and our shorts. You know, some of the the kind of stuff. How do how do we even begin doing that that in home closet? And is that a day project or is that also something that should be taking multiple multiple days? <laughs> Okay, so yeah, absolutely no, 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 no. This is not a day project. Um, this is something that you do over, you know, a few days. And do not empty out your closet and then put everything back in. It's not the way to go about it. You want to start at one end of your closet, preferably the left, and work towards the right. And start from the top and work towards the bottom. And you want to go through your items before you add your um, fall winter, you want to go through your items to decide, you know, the usual, how long have I had it? Will I ever wear it? All that kind of stuff. Um, pull out the items that you don't need and then integrate your fall items. And pull out your summer, spring, summer and integrate your fall winter. Um, so and do that a little bit each day. Don't set out a whole day to, to do the project. You'll make yourself crazy. <laughs> I know. It really does bring up a lot of stuff when you start organizing. And like you said, it's kind of it's similar to, to the Reiki work, but it's instead of invisible things moving throughout your body, it's physical, tangible things. And it, it does when you start moving, moving your stuff around, it really tends to come with a lot of emotions and, and mental stuff. So yeah, I, I like that you're like, no, just take it slow, like left to right, top to bottom, and just, just, you know, just do it methodically. Yeah, you hit that, you hit that right on the head. Yeah, you got that exactly right. Same, same type of thing, but it's physical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Carlene, we're, we're coming towards the end of our, our segment today. Um, how, can, how can people find you? How can they find your book? Um, tell us a little bit more about um, how, how people can, can learn more about you. Okay. So the book is available on Amazon, and it's called The uh, Waiting Room, The Invisible Voices of Lyme. And the book is by, compiled by Vicki Gold. And then um, if anybody's interested in reaching me to exchange ideas, um, Carlene, C-A-R-L-E-E-N at clutterdoctor.com or um, Carlene at carlenehoffman.com. Fabulous. And um, Carlene, do you have any last words of wisdom that you would like to throw out into the universe yeah, um, I know we're going through a difficult time right now and it really stinks. Um, but I think that, you know, we have to remember that we're all in it together and just to take one day at a time and to try to do something fun each day. What are, what are you doing fun today? 
Uh, in a few minutes, I am going to be going down to what's called tea time with our neighbors um, because they helped my mother-in-law out when she lost electricity. So we're going to go down and give them a quick visit. Nice. <laughs> well, I hope you have a fabulous tea time together. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, and again, um, if anyone needs to get in touch with Carleen Eve Fisher Hoffman, you can always go on to theclutterdoctor.com and find those um, those uh, emails. Uh, or you can also go on to Amazon for the waiting room, uh, the invisible stories of Lyme, the invisible voices of Lyme. All right, Carleen. Well, thank you so much. Um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your afternoon. And and we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. All right. See ya. Be well. And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Energy Matters, and I am your host, Caroline Rutterman. And we are back with our second segment today. We have another amazing guest, um, Beth Pelletieri. So welcome, Beth. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Of course. Um, So Beth is a life coach and as well as a professional coach. Um, And uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of what you specialize in? Tell us us all about you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So I'm a life and professional coach. Um, My main focus overall is that I love helping people reduce the overwhelm. Um, by releasing what doesn't feel good to them, all those shoulds that keep us sort of bogged down and stuck as we try to move through the world, and just all those expectations we put on ourselves. Um, And instead, I love to help my clients lean into what feels good, what their vision for their life is, um, and sort of how they want to feel expansive in their own bodies and in their own world. Um, And I'm also parent, I'm a mom, to three kids ages two, six, and nine. And I mentioned this because I think today we're going to talk a little bit about finding that balance with overwhelm in parenting. Um, And whenever possible, I do my best to walk the talk. Um, So uh, yeah, looking forward to our conversation. Yes. So Beth, tell me a little bit about what are some of the struggles that um, that moms and parents experience when they're trying to really like expand into who they want to be within their body and their careers and their lives? What are some of the struggles that that, you know, people face, you know, with with children and kind of the day to day life of, of parenting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, clearly right now, parenting means doing so many extra things, Um, being a teacher or a teacher's assistant, um, if your kids are remote, um, managing playdates and pods and new boundaries about what it is, what it looks like when our kids are interacting with each other and playing and figuring out how to explain that to each other, to our kids. Um, But I think the biggest hurdle um, when I work with parents um, in sort of navigating the overwhelm is that parents, I think of when I work with clients that there's two parts, right? There's the internal world, how we sort of our inner voice and what we need. And then there's the external world, uh, which is of course, how we're sort of moving through our existence and interacting with our kids and our families and our job and all these other pieces. Um, And parents spend so much time in the external world, right? It's really hard to find those quiet moments in the internal space. Um, And so when we do, sometimes it's actually even hard to hear our inner voice. We've been caregiving all day, we've been multitasking all day. um, And so it's just can be really um, 
cumbersome and hard to find that clarity of voice and self, especially when you're not used to maybe having a routine around it or um, hearing yourself think after a busy day. Um, and so I think that for me, that when I work with those clients, I love to help sort of decrease the overwhelm. Um, really, I think also just to add on to this, because you're sort of faced with not having a lot of time for self-care, it becomes yet another thing on your to-do list, right? It becomes like yet another thing you're not getting to or that you see so-and-so on Facebook doing a better job of or whatever else. Um, and so um, one of my favorite pieces, right, is sort of how do we get lean into self-care but through a place of self-compassion so that we're not sort of berating ourselves for not meditating or doing yoga or even just sitting down and resting, but instead, how can we sort of use that internal space to be compassionate towards ourselves and then find the self-care that feels good in that moment, even if it's three minutes to yourself mm, in the morning. I love that. So, and, and you're actually running a, a parenting group right now through It Takes a Village, um, which is kind of uh, caters to the, the hill towns. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the, the upcoming parenting group that you're running through It Takes a Village? Oh, sure, I'd love to. Thanks so much. Um, so It Takes a Village is a beautiful organization that provides support to families with small children, um, as you mentioned, primarily in the hill towns, although Zoom has allowed for a more expansive audience. Um, and it really sort of tries to live out its mission, right? Which is those early days of parenting are really isolating. And so sort of how do we build community around that? And so as part of their programming, they're offering a self-care support group on Zoom from 7.30 to 8.30 on Tuesday evenings. Um, and so it'll be every Tuesday uh, with different facilitators. And I'm running the group on the third Tuesday of the month. So my first group will be October 20th from 7.30 to 8.30. Um, and mine is focused sort of on what I just talked about which is that there'll be general support, of course. Um, but in addition, we'll be talking a little bit about everyday, simple baby step ways to bring self-care into your life. Um, and, you know, when we, again, when we make those things like go for a walk or meditate, it's so big. Um, and then it's easy to sort of have a narrative that you're failing at it. Um, and so the group is going to be all about sort of those turtle steps, not to put more pressure on ourselves, but instead to find those little moments of flow and ease um, so we can sort of savor the moments that we do get and live more fully in those moments and then slowly expand them so that we're starting really small in sort of how we can take care of ourselves um, and then sort of trying to grow that space. Um, and I, I've sort of posted about this on Instagram, but one of my favorite places for self-care for myself is in my kitchen, right? When I'm in my kitchen, my kids seem to leave me alone because they are used to me being in the kitchen. It's not like I've walled myself off in the bedroom or something like that. And so rather than check my phone or tidy the kitchen or work on the dishes or dinner, um, I can make myself a cup of tea. I can meditate for three minutes or five minutes. Um, and I can know that I'm going to get interrupted and make that okay. So I'm not going sort of against the current of my life. I'm going with the current of my life to feel more uh, time for me in that space, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier that this kind of concept of, of turtle steps, what is, what is the idea behind turtle step? What, what are turtle steps? And what's, what's the idea behind, uh, you know, these, these little tiny turtle steps? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so I'm a Martha Beck certified life coach. Um, Martha Beck is Oprah's life coach, um, does a column on Oprah magazine, which some folks in the Valley, um, might know about because she coached, um, 
a woman who run who used to own um, Child's Garden, um, the children's store in Northampton. Of course, yeah. Um, sorry, what? I, oh, I just said yes. I remember. Yes. yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and so it's her sort of exercise, um, and she talks about how um, as we move the the sort of the squares of coaching that I work in are these these four squares. Um, and the first square is called um, grieving and disbelieving, where we sort of let go of what we expected. And the second square is called dreaming and scheming, where we start to think big about what we want in our life. Um, and then the third square is sort of the implementation square. Um, and so when we're sort of thinking about what we want in our life and then trying to expand it and trying to then bring it into the real world, it can be really challenging, right? It's never easier than we imagined. It's usually a little bit harder than we imagined. Um, and so uh, the idea of turtle steps is just how can you do the smallest possible step with ease? Um, and it also gives our brain um, a chance to sort of catch up. And this is um, a silly example, but I'm going to share it which is that I um, wanted to get into a routine of going to the gym and I was having trouble establishing a routine for myself because I felt like I needed, you know, to go in guns blazing and really have a good workout. Um, and so I, and I just didn't have that routine built into my life yet. And so again, how can we be gentle with ourselves as we're trying to build new skills and new routines? And so for a while I would drive to the parking lot of the gym and I would sit in my car and say, I'm going to the gym today. Cause I was, I was at the gym. Um, and I would just do that for a week where I wouldn't even get out of my car. I would just say, I'm going to the gym today. And I would build those pathways in my brain. So then the next week I was like, you know what? I'm going to work out for like five minutes. Like that's success this week. Um, and so now I can go to the gym for as long as I want and feel comfortable, but we're really treating ourselves with such kindness and compassion and helping us build the skills and the memory and the capacity to bring more expansion and more of what we need into our lives without that hustle and without the berating voice that we're failing and not doing enough. Mm, I love that. I love that kind of building the pathways instead of just accomplishing the goal right away. But it's like, no, it's just taking taking your time and doing just the the, the bare minimum sometimes and being okay with that. Yeah. And I think what's so nice about that too, um, is that then you can, you can adjust it, right? So, um, so if I'm like, you can sort of notice what you love more in those five minutes or in those three minutes. Um, you can sort of clarify where you want to go with it. And you can really start to build in more of your own voice and vision if you're going slow. When we go so fast, when we're hustling ourselves so fast, sometimes we miss building sort of a solid foundation because we're so in a hurry to get to our goal. Um, and obviously we want to build those skills, but it doesn't take long to sort of do these turtle steps, it just gives us a little bit more of a solid foundation to come back to when we miss a week at the gym or when, you know, the first week of school when there's no self-care happening, for example, then we've built this solid foundation. So it's easy to return to our vision and our voice um, and sort of how we want to live out our lives or take care of ourselves, mm. depending on the case. I love that. So, so is the, what is the format of the, um, the, the, it takes a village parenting group. Um, how how are you going to start to? What is the structure of this um, of this group look like? This I know you said it was the the third Thursday. Was that correct? Third Tuesday. Third Tuesday. Um, third. That's actually Tuesday. hard to say. Um, yeah. <laughs> my group will be October twentieth. Um, 
so it'll be an open forum. My hope is that, you know, uh, you know, there's nothing like being listened to at the end of a long day. And so it's not going to be sort of me using coaching tools unless that sort of um, becomes apparent. And I'm going to try to offer some sort of general support um, as well as uh, sort of when I turn on my coaching hat a little bit and helping people create some sort of vision and space for that self-compassion and self-care in their lives. Um, it is like a judgment-free zone and advice-free zone. Um, so again, the coaching that I use in that space will really just be to help people illuminate their own voice and what feels good to them and not offer any sort of um, structured, I don't know, like this is it, right? My goal is to eliminate shoulds, not add to your shoulds. A good coach takes the the socialization away, not as an add to more of what you should be doing that you're not doing. So um so I think that that is the the goal of the space as, is to sort of provide that open format for parents to show up um, however they need to be in that in that evening. Exciting. And is that in person or is that via Zoom? Or how, That's by, via Zoom. And so um, if you're interested and want more information, definitely check out the It Takes a Village website. Um, and there'll be, um, I think there's also information on Facebook. Uh, and I think the different facilitators for the different Tuesdays have little slightly different focuses. So if for whatever I, what, for whatever reason, what I'm saying is not resonating with you, I highly recommend looking at the descriptions of the different groups because um, I think one person is focused on sort of like digital self-care um, and things like that. So lots of, um, lots of interesting people doing good work. Very cool. So you, of course, work with the, with groups. What is, what is the one-on-one um, professional coaching look like? What is, what is that kind of structure of, of the work that you do look like? Yeah. Um, so whether or not you're a life coach client or a professional or business coaching client, um, I always offer a free discovery session. Um, so if you're listening to this interview and thinking like, hmm, this might be good, but I don't know, um, feel free to go to my website, book a free discovery session. It's uh, no strings attached. I want folks to live lives that feel good to them. And if so, if life coaching or life coaching with me is not what feels good to you, I want you to do what feels good. Um, and the discovery sessions are just a good way for you to ask questions and for us to get to know each other a little better. Um, and then I work with clients in a couple different ways. I always offer um, for anyone about anything and what's a one-off session called Unstuck, um, which is perfect for when you're sort of spinning out on something or you keep trying like trying to navigate the same problem in different ways and can't seem to get to your solution. Um, and that's just a one-off session. Um, and then if you're sort of looking for a job transition or um, trying to grow your business or life after divorce and trying to figure out what your, what your vision for your life looks like, or a parent trying to decrease the overwhelm in their life, then I tend to work with folks um, for uh, like three to six months, um, usually starting off meeting once a week for about a month and then sort of shifting to um, once a week for a month and then sort of shifting to twice, twice a month. Um, or every other week. Uh, so my, you know, it, my goal is to help people use the tools, get used to hearing their own voice in whatever situation they're experiencing, um, so that they can do it themselves. Um, and, um, and I always offer email coaching as well during the week, so that if different things come up, as they always seem to, um, you have a, a person who is available to listen and offer a little prompts um, or questions to help you sort of get clear on what you need from that situation as you move through the week. Um, so that's sort of, those are the two, the discovery session, and then I do the one-off, and then I work with clients a little bit more 
um, long-term. And then I am offering right now um, a self-care coaching session for parents. Um, So it's 20 minutes, $20. Um, You can book it uh, right through my website and pay for it through the website. Um, And that's just, if you just need that, lock yourself in the bathroom, uh, put on Daniel Tiger, um, get a little sanity check. Um, That's what that's for. Nice. I'm sure those sanity checks are extra, extra important too, because of, you know, being, like you said, all the extra parenting duties that are kind of being thrust upon people since the pandemic and the homeschooling and just all the, the kind of madness that is is locked into these new routines. Yes, yes, madness. I think madness is a good word. And I also have been noticing with clients and with friends, just sort of this feeling of anxiety as we sort of head toward the winter months, like, oh, this worked well, it was nice out. And sort of, what do I do when winter hits? And so that's another great way of using some of these, uh, my services or um, thinking about your own self-care is sort of what do I need to be in the moment and in this space and also clarify my vision for what a successful winter would feel like to me. So how, I mean, how is how is the what is the transition of of fall into winter like where where is the i guess where is the transition in people's like internal needs how how do you how do you get people to start understanding the the changing of the rhythms in their internal world that you were talking about versus their external world that's a beautiful question um one of my favorite tools is called find the feeling Um, because it's really simple and easy. And also because you can actually do it with your kids. Kids are um, super good at noticing, at knowing their feelings, right? Because they have less socialized filters um, than grownups. And so find the feeling is like a really easy tool to just, so often we try to like grasp at the external world to make us feel better. Um, And find the feeling is a tool where you start with the internal. So how do I want to feel today? How do I want to feel in the next hour? Or how do I want to feel this weekend with my family? Um, and you just lay out three feeling words um, and you could do this even I've done it uh, we do it as a family so everyone like for the weekend everyone will create their three feeling words and we sort of look at what where the similarities are and where the differences are and we kind of pick three for the weekend as a family um, because when you're a life coach you get to coach your family all the time um, <laughs> so uh, so for example um, this coming weekend I was sort of playing with how I wanted to feel. And I was noticing some of that anxiety was coming up about the winter and when things shut down even further. Um, And so I was sort of like, how do I want to feel this weekend? I want to feel like taken care of. I want to feel refreshed and vibrant. Um, And I I want to feel relaxed. Um, And so if I can use my feelings state that I want to create as my goal, it becomes much easier to notice where, what I want to do. So we live over near the Fitzgerald Lake Conservation Area. um, And we usually go on a hike most weekends, but I realized this weekend I wanted to do a hike that felt nourishing and close to home as opposed to like a strenuous mountain hike. Um, And so that was like a really, that was really clear to me because I had centered on my internal feeling states first. Um, And so I think it's a really beautiful way to check in with that internal needs and then look to your external world um, in a very, tangible and sort of action-oriented way. Um, And it also really just helps you stay centered in that here and now um, without worrying about what December or January might be bring and and sort of how you need to adjust at that point, which as we are all experiencing, right, it's really hard to plan ahead in this current environment because it keeps shifting. So even if I am trying to solve problems for December, they might not 
I might not be able to solve anything. Um, and so that's only going to create more anxiety for myself. Of course. And so if you're working within the dynamic of the family as well as for yourself and you're kind of jointly picking individually as well as jointly picking these these family feeling, these feeling words, what if the members of your of your partnership or your kids or other people are saying that their feeling words are so different than yours? How yeah. how does a parent who can't really like I'm I'm a single woman, I can be like, bye, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't need to have like, like, I, I structure things that feel good for me. So but with a parent, obviously, you're you're a unit you come as a unit typically. Um, how does how does that work if you're trying to create these feeling words that are d- in direct contrast to yeah. how other people in the in the family are feeling? Sneaky question, but or, a very or want good to one. feel or want to feel. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think it's for me, it's about collecting data, right? So if like one of my kids is like, Oh, I want to like, you know, uh, ride a roller coaster. This is like my feeling words are like exuberant and social and like playful. And the other kid is like cozy, restful. Like, um, the great thing is that that is great information, right? Like how can I create a, a weekend that feels good? Like that's great data. Um, and so if you come to it from a little bit of a growth mindset and a little bit of a curiosity instead of a like, Oh no, everyone wants different things. There's really fun ways to play with it. So, Um, so for example, like perhaps we do things in groups, right? So maybe someone, um, maybe someone wants to be quiet at home and someone else wants play, then we can, we can actually do that. And I, I'm in a, you know, a two parent family. So I I am lucky that we can sort of divide and conquer as need be, but sometimes the kid that needs something that's really cozy, or if I need something that's cozy, it's because I'm feeling like uh, I need some nurturing in that moment. And so it doesn't mean that maybe the whole weekend is cozy. Perhaps then you take a moment and say, you know what, I would love to set you up in your room with a cup of tea and a good book, or maybe you want to take a, like a hot bath um, with some candles, um, depending on the age of your child. Um, and so I can help you achieve that. And then let's like see how we're feeling after. Um, or we find some sort of middle ground. So I think if you come to it with like curiosity um, and sort of a playfulness um, of sort of like, ooh, how can we like make this work? No, and of course, sometimes it's not going to work, right? Sometimes um, there's five of us, like sometimes one of us is, you know, not getting what they want. Um, That is a common occurrence. But I think that the, um, but in general, checking in with people's feelings about how they want to move through their day allows me as a parent to have a little bit more data. And most importantly, it cre- it forces me to do the same exercise, right? So what I love sometimes about making my kids do this stuff is it forces me to slow down and say, what do I need in this moment? Um, and, so, um, and so it helps me get more clear on my internal state so that I can be a more successful parent because I'm taking care of myself as well. Do you ever have total resistance to taking care of yourself? Do you ever just launch yourself into the family dynamic or just really, really kind of push down your internal states? Um, do you ever feel like there's there's a time and a place for that or that there's any kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe not like healthiness in that, but like, do you ever kind of experience any of those uh, oh, like yeah. all like complete opposite trajectory of the, the self-care stuff? Yeah, I'm, yes. I mean, I think that one of the, one of the beautiful parts of self-care and self-compassion, right, is not that you're doing, I mean, 
self-care can turn into like a perfectionist. It has a perfectionist um, vibe to it, right? Where it's like, if I take care of myself all the time, then, right, everything will be flowing beautifully. Um, And so I think the goal is not that we do it perfectly all the time, because that's not actually setting anyone up for success. It's that we know how to return to it. Um, And so, yes, absolutely, as a parent of three small kids, sometimes my self-care goes out the window. Um, And more often, too, I just am doing so much. I'm spending more time in that external space that then when it is quiet um, and my partner is, what do you need right now? I can't actually answer that question because I haven't had enough you know, space to, um, to hear myself in a little while. Um, so I think all of that has its place. And I think what's so beautiful about using these tools or, um, using some like self-compassion tools, like the self-compassion break or bringing in, um, a lot of times I love to bring in like a best friend. Like if your best friend was talking to you, like if your best friend was struggling with this exact problem, what would you say to them? And normally what we would say to our best friend is like, Oh, sweetie, you're doing a great job. It's been a hard day. Like, you know, like just do what you need to do to, t- to like get, get through the day and tomorrow we'll feel better. Or, you know, tomorrow let's really try to carve out something for ourselves. Most of the time that best friend voice is actually the nurturing that we need. Um, and so I think that it's, it's, yeah, it's the, not the doing it perfectly. It's the coming back to it um, when it doesn't go well. That's mm-hmm. what's more important at the end of the day. Yes, I like that. So um, we are coming towards the the top of the hour. Um, how how can people find you? Uh, beautiful. So my name is Beth Pelletier. Uh, Pelletier is a little hard to spell. Uh, my website is uh, BP Beth Pelletier Coaching Life, or you can Google uh, BP Coaching, of course. Um, and I have five star reviews on Google, so check that out too. Um, but I think that those are probably the easiest ways to to find me. Fabulous. And and do you have any last words of wisdom that you would like to throw out into the universe? Yeah. Um, I would just, if you are finding yourself sort of in that hustling space of self-care, just remind yourself that like there's nothing urgent about your self-care, right? That you can sort of take that step back, that you can, that self-compassion is actually a, such a gentler lead into that self-care that you need. And, and find that sort of beautiful way to hear that inner voice from, from that place of self-compassion. Because um, at the end of the day, self-care is about loving ourselves unconditionally. Um, and that means no matter sort of where, where that lands you that day and what you need, um, it doesn't matter. It's just about sort of offering yourself that loving kindness. Um, yeah, and holding space for whatever feelings come up along the way. Oh, well, I think that's a really good reminder as we're kind of coming into a new season and as we're coming into uh, the the winter months uh, with with the pandemic happenings all around us. So things are going to probably continue changing uh, for our our patterns, not being able to get outside as much um, in a few months. So I think it's really good to start practicing these skills ahead of time so that we're not just uh, fully <laughs> launched into, uh, you know, into doom and gloom and darkness. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on today and, and sharing all about what you do and, and um, all your amazing skills. So um, if you're just tuning in now and you want to hear uh, the earlier parts of this interview, 
or the last interview, you can always go on to reikinorthampton.com backslash radio dash archives. Or if you're a podcast listener, you can always go on to the Energy Matters podcast, uh, basically on any platform. And uh, this episode will be up uh, posted next Friday. So that's that's always an option. Um, um, So be well, everyone and have an amazing weekend.